Conversations. Welcome back to Consilience Conversations, episode seven. And with me in person, though you can't see him, is Dr. Matt Roos. Welcome, Dr. Matt Roos. Welcome to San Diego. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, I'm right here, and you are within arm's reach. Uh, that's a positive or a negative, I'm not really sure. But <laughs> it's great to be here and uh, in studio. Awesome. I know it's interesting, too, because um, usually I get the feedback uh, immediately from when I'm doing the recording from the fact that you can hear me that this recording is actually working. So it's um, it's pretty interesting just to have you in, in actual person here because I, I have no clue whether the recording is working. So hopefully it <laughs> right. is. Right. From our standpoint, it's, it's there are no blemishes. This is perfect, but yeah. it could be disastrous. We'll find out after. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, well, I guess, so some things are the same, some things are different for this time. It's a special holiday episode. Uh, I think it's December 19th. Um, right. the, my calendar is on the wrong month here at the home office, but um, time stands still over Technical here. Technical flaws. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, old habits die hard. And I guess we'll be talking about that pretty soon because uh, for those of you who are on YouTube, who can see the um, see the screen, a few of the topics we want to talk about today do involve uh, uh, the season. Tis the season, and tis the season to talk about the season. Many holiday celebrations are tied to religion. So what's the neuroscience of religion? And so we broke that down into spiritual experiences and uh, the fact that humans have a strong tendency to anthropomorphize. And I want to talk about the Greek gods some Absolutely. with you and maybe the Egyptian gods, maybe, you know, the Christian God and maybe the Norse gods. We can create some new ones if we need. Sure, sure, right. And uh, addiction and holiday feasts and treats. This is something I'm actually very interested in because you know something I'm always looking to do. And people can call this first world problem, but what I see in that statement is problem. So it's problem is how to keep the pounds off, and not just keep the pounds off, but keep from developing some nasty habits that follow me out of the holidays and back into my normal life and you know frankly i want to feel good and not terrible from eating way too much mm -hmm. all the t and you know only sugar and then holiday gifts giving and receiving maybe i'll talk a little bit about aristotle and the great soul of man but i'm very interested to see uh what you have to say about that i can also give some dante uh at the top of the purgatorio and i can even say if we have time what the origin of Santa Claus is and who oh, he like is it. based on yeah, historically. Do it, do it, do it. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, so where should we start? Uh, you know, I, I think we should just start it from number one, at least on the list there. And first, because that could be the one that's uh, most contentious or even interesting to some people. And I don't think it's, uh, I'll put it right out there to begin with that we don't know that much about religious from the neuroscience standpoint. And I personally am not a big, um, I'm not a highly religious person but I don't have a negative opinion about religion sure, in general. Sure. And I, was, I was actually born and raised Christian, and I sort of am more of agnostic these days, but um, I have no negative opinions about it. So this is just really more of what do we know and understand from the psychology and the neuroscience? And I think, so you, you already touched on it, the spiritual experiences versus religious beliefs. And I just, I just wanted to touch on that briefly um, to say that it's hard to study religious beliefs from a neuroscience standpoint. It's just, how do you even do that? What, how, what experiments would you put forth to, to make that happen? And religious beliefs are, I, what I meant by that is even just like you, you, you do deep thinking. It's not just like emotion. It's religious beliefs from the standpoint of, well, I, I 
I've thought about it a long time and I've come to this conclusion and the conclusion is not a necessarily a uh, uh, provable conclusion, but it's brought me to this belief state. And that's very different from some, a spiritual experience where someone has felt as if uh, they were touched by God or God spoke to them or they had something, some experience that ascended uh, you know, the physical world. So well, I, sometimes I, when they yeah. study these things, uh, yeah, just finish up with yeah. one sentence, is that some of the, uh, some and maybe the majority of the ex neuroscience experiments try to have subjects that have experienced what they would call a spiritual experience. That's very interesting because that sort of, uh, just that distinction alone shows the interplay in, I think, a religion between sort of the practice of the religion and the stated or articulated beliefs of it. And, and even maybe a third aspect, the genuine religious experience, right? And that seems to be something very interesting. And uh, this guy, Jordan Peterson, who I've often listened to, talks about this book, Soma, which is uh, uh, some... Some guy investigates. It's soma, S-O-M-A. Yes, yeah. S-O-M-A. Which means body, which is also the soma is the part of the cell, the neuron that is the, right. the, I don't know, the main volume of the neuron is in this so-called soma. Well, and it's also supposedly some drink um, or some, some psychedelic drink that led to possibly the expansion of human consciousness at some point, this guy claims. Um, but... Um, all that goes to say is that spiritual experiences, regardless of what induces them, do seem to be within the realm of what is possible for humans. And I think it's interesting to find out. Um, it would be interesting neurologically to understand what is happening during one of those experiences. Mm. I, I don't know if what we would have to do is like find somebody with epilepsy and see, you know, what is going right on during the, I, I forget what the moment is called before, the seizure comes on. It's called something like the horizon. I know the yeah, onset. It's kind of like a. I, actually, I'm drawing a blank too. But it's kind of like the event horizon, which is right. just like, which is the terminology from black holes, where right. you cross that threshold and it's not. You can't come back from that. It's going to happen. Yes. Yes. And in any case, what I'm also interested in is to what extent a religion is. And I want to ask this right because I was thinking about it from a neuroscience standpoint. Uh, is not just uh, the articulated expressions about the belief of it, like my relationship to the religion is this or that, what somebody says, but the practices that somebody embodies mm. in line with that religion and, and how that ties to general in-group sort of practices of acting in the same way as other people because they, are, they, they obey the same code or the same set of rules or the same set of embodied rules if you don't know them right like when you're in sure. a pack or a gang of friends right sure why are you in that gang of friends you don't know you're just yeah ignorant. you may not even in for at least some individuals they haven't given a critical thought uh not to put them down for that situation you're, you're born and raised and you observe what others around you do especially as a child and and you follow those same patterns of behavior um it's sort of the, the memes that are that are passed down and uh religion is definitely I mean, usually it's religion are, is a set of means. Um, I guess at some point you, not all, but many people mature, they grow older, they become, uh, their thinking becomes more um, introspective and, and critical and they will think about whether the actions that they're taking 
Favreau mean, you know, why they do what they do. But yeah, it's you're set a, you're you're set in a direction based on what you've observed uh, as a child. So, um, and so how that's relied related to yeah, and, and I guess that's somewhere in between these these definitions of spiritual experience and religious beliefs. Where sometimes it's not a single experience; it's just what you've been exposed to, and it's not even a, it's sort of a belief, but you didn't critically think about that and come up with that belief. You were just sort of went with the flow. Uh, that's what happens to a lot of people. Right. There's sort of an anthropological aspect to it uh, or sociological aspect to it, too, that um, um, it's interesting to what extent uh, one's thoughts or beliefs are then given are then given embodied expression as actions, which are customary then. I suppose then your customary actions are reflections of customary thinking, which is not your own then. And so it's interesting to what extent um, a religion then, and I believe at least Dante thinks that this is sort of the idea of medieval Catholicism, that the point of it is not only to navigate through these difficult times in life, he himself was in exile from his home, um, but uh, to develop the capacity to get through hard times by developing sort of one's logos, one's mind, and that that was sort of the ultimate goal of a religion to be maximally adapted to one situation and one situation would always be social. And I think that's just to tie that to the next point. Well, let, let, yeah, let, yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. for a second, cause you, you had, you said it a couple of times now and I, I didn't, I didn't uh, pick it up the previous time, but, um, and I don't know if you meant this particularly, but of course many religions have ceremonies and traditions right. and, and whether, and you can relate to these things to perhaps non, uh, religious things like yoga style meditation or uh, Buddhist meditation, which, uh, you know, Buddhism is, uh, some, some elements are very religious, some are more like a way of life. Um, or sure, but even, we wouldn't call like it a business. Re repetitive, repetitive actions or habits, and sometimes uh, those things are done, and they could even be physical in terms of like um, for health or potentially defense and fighting, but really oftentimes to um, in a way, take your mind away from your everyday activities and put it into sort of a more relaxing state. Um, I don't know if that's what you had that in mind at all when you were commenting on those things, but there are some elements of religion that seem to be, particularly, this, again, the ceremonial type, where it has almost nothing to do, to me, with the, the religion itself and the beliefs thereof. It's almost more like... Um, uh, like senior psychiatrist or, or you know, it, it's a, a therapeutic uh, process. Well, and that may be part of why there is the rise in psychotherapy as there is a decline in the religion, because exactly if, if humans like we've been sort of putting out there inhabit a mental space as much as they do just an actual space, then theaters of awareness have real value to us um, in that they bring our awareness, our very limited awareness to specific spaces and specific um, places of rich information and ideas. So what a religion, a religious space is at least is a place you go to in order to uh, literally move in different ways while thinking about different things from your normal life. And uh, the moral aspect I think is actually very uh, small uh, or the moralizing aspect in that way. It's like, it's a place you go to escape the usual things in order to focus on things of higher value or to give yourself 
a richer perspective on what's happening uh, around you. And that that itself has tremendous value, regardless of the other things that we might brand as bad about it. Mm -hmm. um, and that if you we're going to criticize the specific manifestations, which is fine, we need to at least replace them with something better because it's like that, that strikes me as having real value, you know? And I think if we analyze sports and we analyze things like watching the game together, we're going to find out that actually neurologically, these are bonding ceremonies that these are very helpful things to be doing. These are not lowly uh, mundane, not important things to do uh, that actually all these are binding, binding behavior, binding within, and you already mentioned in group and it pulls them together, which unfortunately, part of religion, or at least in history, has been also outgroup. Right, means outside right. Outside religion, and of course we all know about holy wars and all sorts of uh, challenges there, even certainly to the modern day. Um, but uh, I guess I'll just leave that at that, and we can com com comment it more if you would like, but I'll just bring this back a little bit more to the neuroscience once again, and just say that, um, you know, we don't know that much about it. I highlighted a couple things in the, in the uh, and in some of the notes, but there are sort of correlations between excited, you know, extra activity in certain parts of the brain. Uh, you can't point to one. I believe you might know this better than I do, Alex. I think uh, uh, historically, maybe Aristotle or before, you know, there were some thinkers that thought uh, the pineal gland was sort of where the that, soul that's, is. Yeah, that's where they were. Where probably where religion or God somehow connecting with humans. Um, and part of that is because it's one of the only areas of the brain, or, and it's really a gland, that is not lateralized. That is, there are not two halves, oh, one wow. right-hand side, one on the left-hand side, it's just bam, right there in the center. So that was part of their reasoning, to my understanding of why they thought that. But, um, but I think the more, to get away from the neuroscience and just, uh, not too far, but just, you know, as I also say here, uh, you know, humans are very, uh, inclined to, we evolved to try and interpret other others, other humans' reasons, understanding, like, uh, inter you know, I'm trying to read your mind. I'm not really trying to read it, but mm -hmm. I, you know, when we communicate, we're often predicting what the other person might be thinking, and uh, that, that uh, oils the conversation, if you will. Um, but it can be a negative, too, because it, we are tuned or evolved to anthropomorphize and to find both the, to find causes where there may not be causes um, and we're very good at finding causes that truly are the causes but we're also sometimes, sometimes bad at ascribing a cause to an effect and that has you know this can go back to our cognitive biases conversations and it makes us uh, amenable to anthropomorphizing things and of course God is God or gods are sort of anthropomorphizing, especially if we go back to Zeus, yes, the Thor, ancients, and thinking yeah. about how every body in the sky yeah. is connected to a god. So again, I don't think this means none of this is to say that there is no god or there is or there are no you know something higher than humans. But I think that's a large reason why religion is what it is and why so many people are religious. Well, I'm going to try a big point here, um, and I'm going to try and connect developmental psychology literature and neuroscience all at once because after all that is what we do here it's a big step <laughs> yeah well i it makes it it makes me think um sort of part of the developmental pathway for a human is to think that at first 
everything comes from heaven or from God. Because Piaget says that first you have sort of the image of the mother, then there's the image of the mother and the father sort of differentiates, then there's the image of you as well. And then from that, you sort of develop or don't. And the Freudians sort of believe this, the Jungians also believe this, and this recent guy, Jordan Peterson, believes this as well. And so that seems to be the story that you are housed within as you develop. And so given that it's the holiday season, the story here is, uh, well, there's both a Christian story and sort of a less Christian sort of Santa story, like a Germanic story at play here. And I want to focus on that one just for a second, cool. though I could speak yeah, to both very easily. Um, uh, because actually Santa is rooted in Christian uh, thought too. Uh, the guy, St. Nick, was a bishop, supposedly. I think a bishop of Cusa. I, I could be wrong about that exactly, but uh, the idea or the story about him at least is that there was this nobleman and he fell on hard times. And so he couldn't provide a dowry um, for his daughters, which meant he, he couldn't uh, pay a young man, you know, the money he would need to get settled and have a wife at first. And so no young man, man could court his three daughters. And so he was going to have to, um, excuse, excuse, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, the season, uh, he was going to have to um, uh, sell them into prostitution. And uh, so the day before this was supposed to happen, they had these uh, stockings and Nick, St. Nick, not yet St. Nick, sneaks in and puts a, a, like a wedge of gold, a piece of gold into one of this girl's stockings and then does it two more times. And so that's, that's the idea of like giving and being charitable during mm -hmm. this season. But just a couple of things about this season. One, neuro neurologically speaking, if people are embodying a certain action and they change a certain way of acting and they change what that, that which they're perceiving and talking about, and even how, and even how they orient themselves during a certain amount of time, doesn't that mean they're embodying a certain spirit? And doesn't that make like the spirit of Christmas the realest thing possible? Just a, but the B, the bigger question I want to ask, and I know that was already like one you want to comment on, um, is um, to what extent do you think it is the case that as you develop, you, you think sort of the image of development in your head is one of Santa. The culture gives and just gives and gives and sort of culture society is the image of Zeus or the all-giving father of Thor or or Santa, this old wise man who has all the gifts and the next things for you. Would, would modern day version of society be government or is that uh, too far afield? Uh, I mean, that's definitely part of it. That's part of what, what is already, already there. Um, but I, I'm just, I'm not even sure exactly what my, my, oh, well, I guess this relates to the, the third point holidays giving and receiving and how giving makes mm -hmm. us happier than receiving that sort mm -hmm. of, and this is going to be a weaker point than what I at first had in mind, but to what extent as one is developing, there is a certain threshold which one goes through after what, hmm. I think, well, yeah. don't let me put words in your mouth, but as we, we can almost always observe with most children, they go through a phase as they age, um, and of course, maybe even be more like a, a, a more adult development. But even as children, uh, they we are all initially selfish, and we care only about ourselves. And and you may seem to love your parents, but mostly you're you wanting the attention from your parents, and that's 
a selfish uh, behavior in some regards. But as time goes on, not all people, but many people to various degrees become uh, less selfish and less, maybe more, um, and I don't know if this touches where you were, what you're saying about society, society being a giving father or the Zeus figure, if that's, if I'm getting that correctly, mm -hmm. um, that they see society as that, but also that they are a part of that society. And this is where I'm going out a little bit of a limb. And maybe that's, you know, they see society as the, you know, a, a benefactor. And if they are part of that giving society, that makes them feel good about themselves as well. Um, well, yeah, and, and to what extent a uh, human has realized that we are the elves that produce, uh, that produce the goods. It, it, I'm, I'm sure uh, that it's... Who's the Santa and who's the elf? Yeah. Right, well, I think <laughs> the Santa is the spirit of the society and of the giving and receiving, and it's as if as you become an adult, you become more the person who embodies Santa for this generation, for the, the youth. And I, I don't know, I've just been thinking a lot during the season about the relationship between adults and students and I'm giving finals right now and how we as adults sort of put incredible challenges and hurdles in front of the students. And that's actually the greatest thing that we give them rather than just like actual simple gifts too, right? Well, we, we give them hurdles and channels, but those that they, we believe that they can overcome and yeah. learn from. And ideally ones that are more intricate and sophisticated and harder to get over than the ones we got over at the same age because we're better as teachers and we have more sophisticated methods and tools but i've just been thinking a lot about how how the relationship of one generation to another is in general sort of like platonically speaking and also like the santa way of speaking like one generation gives the challenges that will build the character of the next generation mm. and this just ties not only to the idea of like sort of santa giving and you being the kid who receives and then you being the santa who gives to the kids but also there recently I went through Harry Potter with some other teachers and Harry sort of realizes in the third book that he, he thinks he sees his, sees his father and his father protects him, but he realizes that he has to protect himself, that that's the greatest father. And I think that's also sort mm. of both the Christian and the Santa Claus me message that if you develop your mental ability to adapt your logos, your mind, your fluid, I don't know, your consciousness, your fluid intellect, I don't know what we would call it in the neuroscience uh, context, that is the best possible chance you have to survive. Yeah. Uh, you, you said something, I'm going to go a couple steps back yeah. uh, that I thought was interesting, which was that um, it's a little bit kind of like, you know, people always want, well, they don't all want this, but most would say that they want better for their children than they had for themselves. And uh, I thought it was actually really interesting what you mentioned, if I interpreted it correctly, that um, maybe we, uh, we put forth challenges for our children as a society, and our and uh, those are challenges that we hope will help them grow as people and into the society. Yes. But are we getting better? Just as we built up our technologies, and we're we're you know obviously we have greater technology or uh, technology that can do amazing things compared to ten years ago, twenty years ago, hundred years ago. Um, are we improving as teachers uh, in the sense that? we are, and this is sort of a question for you, are we getting better at finding out ways to teach our children, not just necessarily even make them, and maybe uh, it's more like an acceleration. Can we, have we, ha are we honing that down such that uh, uh, we can get, 
kid, kids can develop and go further in life because we put them on a greater accelerated schedule, not even necessarily through pressure on them, stressful pressure, but just by posing the right challenges and giving them the right uh, tools to overcome those challenges. Yeah, frankly speaking, I think the answer is yes on all levels and not just because of the efforts of teachers, but also because of the access to digital technologies like YouTube and their sort of universal access now and how, and I mean, just the fact that there's universal heat and sewage is taken care of with these kids and most of them have good hygiene and have access to relatively good food. And so each generation, their IQs are going up and just, just like the, the technologies we have as teachers now, we now have, like I'm going to a conference in January on this, uh, this software, which I'm, I'm not getting paid to talk about, so I'm not going to say its name. Uh, <laughs> oh, this you're software, yeah. to get paid. <laughs> <laughs> so this, uh, yeah, we're being corporate about this. Uh, so, so the software will help me track uh, student uh, writing progress over several years and help our district do that sort of thing. So the sort of metrics we have to manage and observe progress are incredible and they're always getting more sophisticated and we do have actual like measurables like right and these are things that we measure in standardized tests for example like math quantitative reasoning and like writing ability and vocabulary and uh, ability to interpret you know things like sil basic syllogisms and uh, analogies like and we can quantify this sort of data and we we Probably if you grew up in the last 20 years or so, you took a standardized test almost every year of your life after fourth grade up through, uh, up, up through college. And then if you wanted to go on to further education, uh, further standardized tests, right? The MCAT, the GMAT, the GRE, the LSAT, et cetera. And so our data collection and our teaching methods have gotten, and the, you know, sort of, conditions that students live within have gotten so good that we are objectively getting so much better regardless of all the sort of bad PR uh, you hear about well because also our judgments and our bad PR about uh, teaching in general just in, I think I, I think in general systemic failure is the idea about education but it's mm -hmm. like I think also our standards for education have become so high mm -hmm. that they are they are unprecedentedly high and they right. are so, so you some might call it failure Right. We're failing to meet higher bars than we've ever put up for ourselves. That, that's right, and really extraordinary bars. And in fact, the bars are so high that we're running up against the, the limits of like hu the structures of society and human genetics, mm -hmm. right? Because like there's a demand even for improving. I mean, we've gone pretty far from the holiday <laughs> yeah. idea. Well, I had an idea how to bring it back, but right. right. okay, your okay, but like so, you know the the. The methodology and the training out there for for teachers uh, we're seeing we're just seeing that the the profession allows for the best and the the conditions at at home in some ways uh, at least the material conditions at home there are other psychological considerations if you have populations that have uh, that have homes without two parent families there's just subjective data on the fact that 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 harms uh, uh, the boys and girls, but boys more, uh, if there's not a male figure in their life uh, across several domains, I think it's actually 70 domains. Um, and I think Warren Farrell did that research. And, I don't and, even know what you, what you mean by domains there. Like, like even, <laughs> even, even, even uh, 
shorter telomeres and shorter life expectancy. Oh, okay. Physical, including like a lot of physical. Physical, uh, uh, social as well. And, you know, performance in school across multiple levels, uh, ability to, you know, pair bond, like, uh, you know, things that you would just never even imagine, but maybe because, you know, you didn't have to imagine, or maybe because it's hard to imagine, then you're a scientist, you know, it's hard to imagine how much things affect other things. Yeah, yeah. Right. Or sometimes it might be, as a scientist, it might be easy to imagine that, and some people don't consider how impactful that is. Sure, it's sure, huge. sure. But let me, if, if I could, like, I'll try and bring it back just right, a little bit, which, is, which was, uh, you know, you launched, in the, or we talked about giving versus receiving and the, the benefits or the, how, um, well, I will, my connection is to you as a teacher and to many teachers, you know, a lot of times, you got into teaching. Um, I can't speak for you personally, but probably because you personally you liked teaching, and but part of the reason you might have liked it is because uh, you saw the the benefit that it you know it gave to your students, and sort of that made you feel good and happy that your students were doing well, which is related to this our little one liner here about holiday gifts, and sometimes it's you know better to give than receive, or you feel happier when you give versus when you receive. And there is there are studies on these, mostly behavioral or psychological studies that people have. Maybe there are immediate rewards about getting something for themselves, and we'll, we'll we can put in monetary terms, like you buy something and you get an immediate reward. But that's often short lived, and a lot of the data suggests that when you give, you you feel better and happier about it for a longer term. Well, that and makes sense. There's some yeah. neuroscience uh, data that backs that up. And maybe that's, you know, not, it's not, we can always, these are sort of retrospective or speculative, but, you know, maybe that makes sense from the standpoint of through evolution, we're a social society and we, those groups that were survived, that survived the best were the ones that worked together and part of working together is sort of providing for each other, teaching each other, giving each other things, sharing things. Um, and so, you know, we're a broad society uh, of humans and, they each display their different sort of personalities and preferences, but by and large, um, we're sort of programmed to be generous to others because genetically it actually benefited us to, to do that. Well, A, that's really cool because that's a guaranteed way to make yourself feel better. And Peterson even mentions that disagreeable people like me who like to get rather than to give even report but feeling, but even feel better, report feeling better when they do give. So my little bridge like heart will feel better when I do that. But that also makes sense from a cost benefit analysis point of view. And given the fact that we can see the future and that's part of how we have social cognitive uh, uh, living space, right? Because uh, we realize unlike a sort of chimpanzee or rat just taking a dopamine hit, that in giving something away to another human that then makes them trust us, we've then invested in uh, an enduring relationship where we will receive far more from them, including uh, uh, just peace with them. Sure, which is security and peace. And, and there, sometimes there's reciprocity, although it takes sometimes time for that reciprocity to occur. And of course, as humans, though, hey, this kind of goes back to the causal reasoning where something you might do something and then eventually a person reciprocates and it may be a year down the road it may be five years down the road but you put it together and you realize that oh this 
were they really motivated for themselves? Uh, you know, in some sense, certainly many philosophers would say, well, like, you know, you're always interested in yourself, right? That's what sort of happiness is. And if I make someone else happy, it's because it makes me feel happy. Okay, fine. That's charting it off into uh, some philosophical territory. Um, but it, it's... But it's also smarter and better for everybody. So I, yeah. I see that as a superficial criticism because it's like, we're so smart and sophisticated. So because well, that would be wrong. Right. It, 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 but, but I think it's just so reductionist that it, it makes it seem as if we're not actually far more sophisticated and smarter than that. Because actually right. what we seem to have calculated without even knowing it is that when you're good to other people, they make you rich and they get rich too. And that's good for everyone. Well, that's what I meant by, right. that's why I was trying to connect it with like the long-term aspects of it. Yeah. And, and I thought about that initially because you mentioned apes or monkeys. And, and so, of course, they have social groups and they're, they're, they, they have reciprocity too. But the timelines are probably much shorter. And right. I'm, speculating, I'm speaking without a lot of deep knowledge about it. But, but that's in, humans yeah. have a, can take a much broader viewpoint in time and also prospectively into the future. Well, I mean, that seems to be why we created the pyramids and great cathedrals like Notre Dame and even great epics. Mm -hmm. I mean, the idea is not that this is gonna be around for five minutes and disappear, mm -hmm. any of these things. It's like, this is the key to human, this is the, I would say that that is almost like the idea of like the kingdom of heaven, like the pursuit of humans of some shared goal that brings us together in an in-group fashion. And I do think that that does produce difficulties without group, but out groups but my my next question would be is that an argument against any in group but but uh there was there was one last thing i wanted to say to connect to earlier because i've been on this trip and i know i keep <laughs> making this transition in the middle of it but i was going to say that i i'm starting to see the the change from anthropomorphized religions towards more articulated or the word sort of religions mm. generally considered more abstract religions mm -hmm. like like christianity are you philo saying? and ontogenetically in the same way that a human at first just is primed to see things anthropomorphically but as they develop their their rational intellect they come to be able to see the principles underlying things and they come to be able to see things more scientifically mm -hmm. uh, away from just the experience of things they are you saying you're yeah. experiencing it or you're observing this in terms of a like current time or real time a real-time transition in the way society thinks about religion? Or are you saying that you've, you're now sort of looking back at the course of history and Tri seeing that? I'm, I'm saying three things, yes. I'm seeing that in trying to orient us in history in that process. I'm seeing that in how a human just, uh, specifically ontogenetically as a human, develops their mind. Mm -hmm. Like at first they see everything socially, then they have to learn to see things more scientifically mm -hmm. um, within those boundaries and also that that is what the history of religious thought is at least as portrayed in epics like uh homer's and the iliad and the odyssey where you have anthropomorphized gods and going through virgil where they're a little more philosophical gods um and then dante where there's one god and first he's sort of like a griffin and theromorphized that means made into an animal but then he's three rings and they're very abstract and what do you have to say about that? And so sort of like the symbol that represents what gods are went from being very social to very abstract, mm -hmm. representing sort of us going from very social ways of conveying information to more abstract. Sure. Um, it's like there's individuals over the course of history as in, for them as themselves, as, as well as individuals, uh, if you plotted, plot, you know, put your uh, philosophers or, or 
forward thinkers on a time curve um, and how they've evolved. And so sort of like a, I don't want to put them on a pedestal, but sort of upper, upper echelon thinkers. Pareto distribution, like yeah. top notch. And then, but now society is, is going through that same process as a whole. Yes. And always, and that's interesting because uh, like sort of the information, and this is like, you know, you're a scientist and you have access to incredible tools and incredible credible databases and things. The people who are moving fastest in each generation are communicating with each other mostly, mm -hmm. not with everybody else, which right. is part of what we're doing. So there's like a lag, they, there's a little bit of a lag between the individuals that are pushing these boundaries and society as a whole. Right, 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 right. And especially over generations where those people who are, who are occupying those roles just continue to share with each other over and over and over and over and over again. And well, I, I don't know. Uh, that That's very interesting uh, to, to think about, but how did we get there? We're, 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 we're kind of, uh, I don't even know if we're spiraling anything. We're, we might be spiraling outward, not well, inward. Well, I know that what we were, we were focusing on the one point about how humans naturally see things in an anthropomorphic yeah. way. Um, and but, you, but you gave a nice uh, uh, counter example to that, and part of that is, the evolution of individuals as well as society as to not you know to, not that this 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 uh holiday season spectacular was supposed to be all about religion but um uh i like what you said that you know we you know we used to think as a society mostly the gods were just these highly anthropomorphized uh characters and now actually i wanted to, oh this this spurred a thought that i hadn't uh, brought up again yet or brought up yet which was um you know, there's often many people in today's society that say I'm spiritual but not religious. Right. And right, right, it's sort right. of a term that I don't it's I don't know what the meaning is of that. I sort of get it, but um but it seems like that's where we're that's where it's gone to some degree, or at least for some people. And part of that may be they're afraid to commit to sure. some concrete religious thoughts. And I don't feel I understand that feeling because like I said, I'm I'm essentially agnostic these days. Um but it's a way of saying that you you feel that I, I think it's sort of a way to say that people are saying that they feel like they might be here for a reason their existence might be there for a reason but that's about all that they really know sure sure and i wonder i would like the anthropologists to weigh in on this because i wonder to what extent they'll say that's not possible because there are certain sort of epiphenomenal feelings that you of like brotherhood and shared shared like uh like communion or community feelings that uh -huh. you can't have if you're just spiritual, right? Like, how do you share that? It's like hyper-Protestantism and that you have no community because your experience is so individual that it's impossible to share. It's almost like the religious right. version what is, what is of, the church that you are in? Not necessarily physical church right. or almost even, but even more of an abstract church or figurative church. It strikes me as the religious version uh, or sort of reductio ad absurdum of uh, the idea of, um, Oh no, I'm forgetting the term for it. What is the the idea that you have many different identities and that no specific term can house any of them? Mm, I'm probably not gonna know. Those oh no, that, I will that, probably hear it know when you say it. No, but. it's a socio-political term. It's a uh, uh, oh no, it's dropped out of my head. But basically, it means um, I. It's funny that it's dropped out of my head. In any case, but is is it sort of a is it a discordant? Uh, situation where you have multiple beliefs or a cognitive dissonance uh, condition 
Well, it's something we were talking about when we were talking about how, because of humans, how many different um, identities we have, mm-hmm. we we can't oh, possibly... like intersectional. It, that's exactly that's the word. The, so yeah, intersectionality. Yes. It strikes yeah. me as the religious version of intersectionality. Right, right, like, right. like, I have so many different beliefs about things that I can't find any sort of common ground with right. anybody, but it is precise, precisely that lack of common ground rather than just the set of beliefs that I would say makes sort of a religion more than just a set of beliefs, but something that has real sort of motive or acting force in one's mm-hmm. existence. Like, I, I don't think that the act of going to church is nothing. That is an act. Like, you go to do something. You dress sure. in a certain way. You see certain people. You interact with them a certain way. Something is said above you. That's like, that's as real as things get, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And um, and you'll actually go to do it, and you'll pay money to do it. You'll pay their, their like, $2 to the uh, the, the, you know, the, the bin that's going around. Well, you'll, you'll pay money, but you feel good about paying that money. That's so right. It's actually, you know, you, you were rewarded for that internally through your dopamine, uh, through a, a cascade of multiple, uh, neurotransmitters. Well, and you know, it's interesting too, because, uh, just, to sort of get near the end of this now, um, to what extent, so when we think about sort of the engorging childish nature, of Christmas that gets criticized so often. It's like, it's just Mm. about receiving and stuffing your face and that's showing how rich and spoiled and gluttonous and what a monster you are. And it's like, well, yeah, at one level of consciousness or one level of development in the Piagetian sense, but what we're talking about when we talk about the development of our culture's consciousness and of ours and just how refined it is to have a spirit of giving for a month or so and how cool that is. And people complain, why don't we have that all the time? It's like, it's cool that we have it at all. And some people and, kind of, and you know, I think there are certain people in society that do have that sort of mentality across sure. 12 months a year. They're not going out and buying uh, new cars with big red bows about <laughs> around them for their, their friends or loved ones, but they just have a generous spirit. Sure. And so this could be, uh, but there's, I, I, th- I think you're going somewhere with this, but I just want to say it's like there's there's certainly people that are uh, it is about me and sort of bloodness, um, but there's still a little there's still a little gem of uh, giving that's in Christmas or in sure sure no doubt. But I, I, I where I am going with it is that like to to tie it back to the idea of Santa and developing from a sort of giving or receiving to a giving mentality is that even neurologically when you start to give more than receive, you start to feel better more often. And from a big five factor model idea, uh, and also given the social psychological idea of reciprocity, you stabilize the situation around you when you are more generous. And supposedly in the primate literature, and maybe you Mm. can tell me about this at Mm. some point, it shows that primate leaders who are more generous rather than aggressive tend to do better with chimpanzees. And so, it is actually better for you and your environment, which you are sort of symbiotic with, and your environment is your social environment as well, right? The people around you. So the, your life gets better, and you feel better, and you're safer as you develop towards yeah. that sort of Collectively, yeah. as long as, uh, and I'll just be the one, sure. one small fly in this ointment, sure. which, uh, is, which I think we all recognize is that that's true if everybody's going to play by that playbook. Sure. And the problem is the challenge is when you have a few individuals that are looking to take advantage of your generosity and um, and sometimes they just kind of are able to escape by in life. And that could be a, a lower primate or a higher primate. <laughs> primate. Um, 
But I was thinking that I, I, what got me thinking about that was like you know, chimpanzees and some of the, the leaders I'm speculating will do well with that that rule book. Um, but humans are, and of course chimpanzees are smart enough to try to con their their brethren. Oh wow. Uh, to some degree, but humans are going to be even better at we're much better conning their breath. I mean, some of our great heroes, Odysseus included, from the Odyssey, is a great liar, and I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> song sounds exciting with you. Well, you know, we've talked a little bit about religion and in groups. One of our favorite uh, topics. We've talked a little bit about habits. We didn't get into holiday feasting as much, but I think we should save that for the new year. Let's talk about um, making resolutions and what a resolution. We'll see how we is. feel after the New Year's ourselves. Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. What our consumptions? Yeah, you know, we we're gonna plan on doing so many podcasts a month and see if we can just do that uh, once or twice and then just give up, but still have a new membership to some software that we have to pay for for the year, like the gym. <laughs> Um, well, we've done this, uh, we've done this live and with, uh, Matt here in SD and I, I hope you've Hopefully enjoyed without it. without any audio gloves because we can't detect them right now. Yeah, because we can't detect oh. them. And well, um, we're going to go out and have a nice holiday beverage now. This is, uh, well, another great meeting of the minds and too bad we can't record later, but well. Thanks, Alex. Thank you.